Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, we are live inside our studio at with inside Renaissance Bank on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta. Uh, folks, if you're tired of the big bank experience, and you know what I mean, automated voices, and if you're a small business, they really don't want to talk to you. They just want your money. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, here's an alternative for you. Renaissance Bank offers a personal experience uh, in the way they do business, but they also are big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them. So my suggestion is to go to Renaissance Bank dot com and find their local office some 200 across the south ready to serve you and give them a call and i think you'll be glad you did renaissance bank understanding you member fdic and now i want to welcome lauren schmerler lauren is with bottom line management lauren welcome Thank you very much. It's a pleasure having you. Same here. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about you and how you're serving folks out there. Okay. I am a business broker, business intermediary. Business broker is typically for businesses less than a million dollars. Business intermediary is for those over a million dollars. I've been doing it for the last 34 years. Overlapping that, I've been a business consultant for the last 51 years. Uh, so you know a thing or two. <laughs> a few things. <laughs> you, it'll be it'll be great when you get out of that rookie status you've right. been in, right? Uh, well, uh, now that's awesome. And uh, wow, lot, lots of places we could go with that. But l- let's just talk about um, maybe just get into the 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 environment that you see right now and what that looks like. As we, I don't know if we're coming out of a pandemic or where we are relative to a pandemic, but where where we are relative to uh, at least where we were last year. Right. Well, of course, many people have lost their jobs during mm-hmm. the last year or so, and some of those people have looked at starting businesses or buying businesses. So I've had quite a few people approach me, seeing if I could help them do that. Uh, Also, the business sellers are thinking maybe there's no better time than to sell their business because the future is very uncertain. So those are my two categories of clients. And what are you finding out there is, um, let's talk from the seller's point of view first, Uh, folks that are looking to sell their business. I mean, what, what do they need to know as they look into this environment as they try to sell their business? Right. Well, what I tell people to do is to put themselves in the shoes of a buyer. And one of the things they can start with is get in their car and drive up to their business. And the first thing you want to look at is the exterior. Are there plants, shrubbery, dying? Uh, After that, are there potholes in the parking lot? Mm. Because a buyer is going to see these things before they even enter the business. Now, once the buyer gets into the business, they're going to look around. And one of the things that I tell them to do is to look up at the ceiling. And if there's a stain, perhaps that's a roof leak. And if it's a roof leak, perhaps it needs to be fixed. Right. 
Additionally, when they're looking around the office, they're going to see desks. Are desks sloppy? Are they neat? Uh, that's an indication of the employee attitude towards the business. Um, additionally, when they go into the owner's office, I ask them to imagine themselves sitting in the owner's chair behind the desk, owning and running the company. They've got to visualize that. So, again, these are just a few of the things that I encourage buyers to do. Mm -hmm. With regard to sellers, I think the seller has to, again, look at themselves in the same position as the buyer. Would I buy my company the way it currently is? The other thing that sellers should do is document everything. And when I say everything, I mean literally what's done daily, weekly, monthly, annually, semi-quarterly, semi-annually. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is a lot of the buyers are corporate people. They're accustomed to having things buttoned up, buttoned down. And I think a lot of business owners kind of do it from the seat of their pants. Oh, come on. I'm shocked to hear that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one of the things I find fascinating about what you've just said, Lauren, is you have not even gotten to financials. I mean, you've spoken about qualitative, uh, issues with the business potholes in the parking lot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, you've talking about processes, uh, and procedures, mm -hmm. uh, but you hadn't even gotten to financials yet. And I think that's where a lot of people start, right? Absolutely. The typical buyer, the first thing they're going to ask for is, why are you selling, and how'd you come up with the asking price? Well, there's a lot of reasons that a business owner could be selling. It could be that they're burnt out. It could be that they want to travel and see the grandkids. It could be that there's aging parents they need to care for. There's any number of reasons that a business owner could give. With regard to what the buyer is going to ask for, the first thing they're going to ask for are tax returns. Mm -hmm. And they normally focus on the last three tax returns. One of the problems that I encounter with business sellers is that they're not current on tax returns. And when that's the case, I have to tell them right up front, I can't sell your business. Without current tax returns, a buyer isn't going to take you seriously, and they're not going to take me seriously as your representative. If they do have the tax returns, the next thing the buyer is going to ask for are financial statements. Mm -hmm. And that's when the business owner says, why? Well, to see how you're running the business, to see if you know what's going on on a monthly basis. Oftentimes they don't. They wait until the end of the year when the accountant tells them how they've done. Uh, once you get past the financial statements, the next thing they're going to ask about are employees. Uh, do they have a lot of long-term employees? Is there a turnover mm -hmm. problem? What do you do for your employees to retain them? After employees, they go into marketing. Mm. How do you market your business? Do you use materials, radio, television? Those are questions that buyers are interested in knowing the answers to. So, again, these are some of the things that the buyer is going to ask for right up front, and the seller needs to be prepared. Uh, folks, we're here chatting with Lauren Schmerler, and Lauren is with Bottom Line Management. So, Lauren, you you say the typical business you work with has sales one million and under. 
Well, that's what we call Main Street. Okay. Then you have the other category called mergers and acquisitions. Okay. I use the cutoff point a mil, million dollars in uh, value. In value. In okay. Value. Not necessarily sales. No. Okay. Got it. Got it. And, and, um, you know, what, what is the, uh, uh, I guess what's hot and what's not, <laughs> if you will, in terms of, uh, if, if, uh, if I'm a seller, and I'm thinking about selling my business, you know, what, what categories of in and industries are hot, a lot of buyers out there and what aren't? Well, I think the hottest business is e-commerce. Mm -hmm. As you know, a lot of retailers have reverted to e-commerce. When you say what's not one of the industries that suffered greatly is food and beverage mm -hmm. restaurants. They've had to close down. In fact, I have a stepson who was working at a very fine restaurant in Boston, and I had to bring him down here because they closed the restaurant. Mm. And he had excellent education. Right. Um, so I would say food and beverage is just gradually coming back. But, you know, there's a lot of pickup at the curb, a lot of digital advertising. In terms of what's hot, sometimes home businesses are hot because you don't have to leave your home. You can do it all from your home, and it's literally a 24-7 type of business if it's set up properly. Um, other businesses that would be hot would be service businesses where it's being provided on an ongoing basis, alarm companies, mm -hmm. extermination companies, things like that. Again, what's not hot are some of the industries that are being faded out. For instance, printing. Printing is now being done, you know, online and mm -hmm. digitally. So the old model of printing no longer applies. Right. So that's just a couple of things, a few things. Gotcha. Um, and let, let's let's talk, I guess, to the uh, from the buyer's point of view. Uh, as you mentioned, lots of folks that are out there either have left corporate voluntarily or involuntarily. Or they're thinking about it uh, because they're not happy with their current employer because of COVID or whatever, COVID policies or whatever. Um, what, what, how does someone assess whether they're, they should buy a business as opposed to just go work for somebody else? Well, first they have to determine what their skill set is. Mm -hmm. Is it applicable to the type of business they're looking at? What I've discovered is that, most business buyers are corporate people who travel and they're gone from their families four days a week. Their kids are growing up. They're not attending the sports games and they're also missing their wife. Mm -hmm. um, what I discover when they come to me is they say, I need to find something closer to home, something that I can handle with my skill set, And then at the end of the day, come home, play with the kids see my wife, and go to those games I've right. been missing. Right. So that's what a typical buyer looks like. Now, the ones that have recently lost their jobs or think they're on the verge of losing their jobs, they want to control their own destiny. They don't want to be subject to an employer's whims. So those people, again, come to me, and they give that as the reason that they're looking of either starting a business or buying a business. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and 
do you help folks with a, a diagnostic test or or is that are those kind of things even helpful well there's something that i call an opinion of value mm. an opinion of value is literally my opinion having been a business broker for 34 years mm-hmm. knowing what the public is interested in mm-hmm. what they're willing to pay because a lot of business owners think blood sweat tears Money that's invested is the basis for why a buyer buys a business. And they ask this question, what is my business worth? There's a simple answer. Whatever a buyer offers that you're willing to accept. It has nothing to do with valuations. It has nothing to do with what your CPA says, your appraiser says, your buddies say. It's whatever offer is made to you that you are willing to accept. That's what the business is worth. Gotcha. Um, and conversely, that's what it's worth from a buyer's point of view. Whatever you're, you're willing to pay or someone else is willing to pay, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, so what is the, um, what's the trade-off, Lauren, in turn, and how do you talk to a buyer that's maybe looking at a franchise versus buying an existing business? Well, with a franchise, it's highly structured. Mm-hmm. They have procedures that you must. It's not It's not voluntary. You must adhere to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you feel oppressed if you're working for a franchisor. In fact, I recently had a situation that was a little bit heartbreaking. A woman had been working with a well-known franchise. I'm not going to mention the name to be appropriate. Sure. A well-known franchise for literally 35 years, Mm. 20 years in one location, 15 years in another. The franchisor approached her and said, if you want your franchise agreement renewed, you must spend a quarter of a million dollars to upgrade the appearance of your business. Well, she's in her late sixties. Right. She doesn't have a quarter of a million dollars. Plus, She's been doing it for 35 years. She's got a clientele. She's got a following. It's almost like a family. What happened was when she said, I can't afford it, I'm unwilling to do it, then essentially they said, we're not going to renew your agreement. Mm -hmm. So what she was forced to do was to sell her assets. And that's what we did just recently. Wow. That is, that's terrible. Um, uh, it pays to know your franchisor. Yeah, but there's a lot of similarities there. <laughs> They're very omnipresent. Right. You know, they tell you the way it needs to be done because they've created the operational manuals and the training procedures. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it, I guess for the person coming out of corporate, is there uh maybe a false sense of security sometimes in all those procedures. I mean, that the franchisor has it all right. Um, because there are a lot of successful independent businesses out there that do quite well competing against franchised locations, right? Yes. I think what happens is that a franchisor serves a purpose for a limited period of time. Mm. Once the individual learns what they need to know, then they feel oppressed with the royalties Right. Because a percentage of their sales is going every month to the franchisor. And they say, you know, after two years, I'm fine. I know everything I need to know. 
why do I need to keep paying? Well, that's the price of buying a franchise. Right, right. Folks, we're here chatting with Lauren Schmerwer. Lauren is with Bottom Line Management. Um, he's a quite experienced business broker with Bottom Line Management. Um, so what is the, I mean, we're here in the North Fulton area. Um, do you work mostly in this area or beyond? Well, I'm licensed to be in the state of Georgia. Every business broker is required to become a licensed real estate broker. Mm-hmm. Not that you sell real estate. Right. And I tell people in 34 years, I've never sold a home, nor would I see myself <laughs> selling a home. But you need to be licensed in the state of Georgia. I can sell anywhere within the state of Georgia. Nationally, if a state does not require that I'm licensed in their state, for instance, Texas, I don't have to be licensed in Texas. I could sell a business in Texas. So there's about 15 or 20 states, Florida, for instance, which is right next to us. I could not sell in Florida without a Florida real estate license. Most of the businesses that I sell are not with the real estate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of them are just leasing space from landlords and maybe home-based e-commerce, home-based business. But there are businesses with real estate those businesses, the business owner sees the advantage of buying the real estate because then they're paying rent from their business to themselves, and that land is appreciating the structure and the land over time. That sounds like quite a um, advantageous thing to do for a lot of businesses. It's very desired by most business owners. Right, right. Um and do you, as a seller of the business in that circumstance, um, what if the business is getting sold on its own without the real estate, then I, as the seller, I'm ending up as a landlord to that, the buyer of that business. Is that a situation you recommend or not? Uh, it depends on your circumstances. If you need an income stream, yes, you mm-hmm. should become a landlord. If, on the other hand, you just want to cash out what we call the sweat equity, mm-hmm. then no, you sell it along with the business. The business purchaser likes the idea because they're going to do what you did. Right. They're going to pay themselves rent and see that real estate appreciate over time. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm interested in some of the uh, – Lauren, I mean, because you've been around a while, you've seen uh, – I would guess pretty much anything there is to see. I mean, what as as a um, uh, seller, I mean, I would love it if you tell us maybe a, a few the most the biggest mistakes that you see that sellers make in their when they try to sell their business. Okay, it's a very sensitive topic. It's called skimming. Some people don't know what that means, but it means not reporting all of the income that you take in. It can basically be cash that you don't deposit in the checking account. It could be goods or services that you receive that you don't report as income. Mm -hmm. And here's the problem. Yes, you do save on taxes without question. But come time to sell your business, it's undervalued Mm -hmm. because you've really been doing better than what your tax returns show. So it's a win-lose proposition. Yes, you've saved taxes, 
But now when you're asking for this premium for your business, you're not going to receive it. Um, that's a, that's a hard, um, drug to get off of, right? Yes. <laughs> um, uh, what do you recommend to people that are in that circumstance? Well, what I recommend is that if you know you want to sell your business two to three years before that time, deposit all money in the checking account so that there's a trail of what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, by the time your business is put on the market, it'll look better. Mm -hmm. And if it looks better, we have something called multiples. Multiples is where you take a figure called owner's discretionary cash flow. It's an adjusted figure of taxable income or net income, but you do the addbacks, the perks. Right. The owner is paying themselves the auto expense, the insurance expense, uh, the kids' baseball game. Right. I mean, there's any number of things that are being run through the business. You've got to stop that. You've got to, you've got to stop using things that don't really relate to the performance of the business so that it's in the most favorable light when you're ready to put it on the market. Because what folks don't realize sometimes is that um, it really takes it out of the uh, argument bucket, if you will, when it comes to talking to a potential buyer, right? I mean, you're not arguing about, oh, this is really not a business. I really ought to add these little perks back in, right? Because they weren't in the business. Um, so it's it's a hard argument to make. Right. Now, there is something that some of my former clients have done, which to me is interesting. I had one client, and again, I can't mention the industry, but I had one client who received checks in addition to credit cards. They took that check, put it into their own personal account, but they made a photocopy of the check so that when we were talking to buyers and they were looking at the tax returns and the financial statements, they could bring out these Xerox copies of checks that never went into the corporate accounts or the partnership account or the sole proprietorship account. So sometimes the buyer buys into that argument. Uh, also, I've had situations where there's void transactions, and the transactions that were voided were not really void, and those could be added back into what the financial statements showed. So I'm not advocating that people skim. I'm just saying that there have been instances where buyers bought into those circumstances. That sounds like the, um, the minority of circumstances. Abs- though. Absolutely. Okay. Just to be clear, folks, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I said it was sensitive. Yeah. Don't hang your hat on that. Um, um, well, and it, when you mentioned, uh, two, three years of doing that, uh, it's, it, it sounds like what you're implying is that most sellers need at least that time to prepare to sell. I agree with that. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, whether they're skimming or not, uh, whatever their circumstances are, they need a little runway to prepare to sell. Yeah. One of the questions that I get frequently, when is the best time for me to sell? And I tell them when you're making the most amount of money and you don't want to sell, mm. that's really the best time to sell. So it's kind of contradictory that, they don't want to sell 
when it's most opportune, but that's the best time to sell. Got it. Got it. Um, Lauren, talk to us a little bit about uh, maybe a success story. I mean, one that, you know, of course, again, you don't have to mention any names, but uh, a, sex, a, sex, a success story you're particularly proud of that illustrates the great work you do. Well, there's a situation where I sold the business to the very first person who answered the ad. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Normally, it takes a lot of people before you find a buyer. But this particular business, if you're familiar with restaurants and grease traps, Mm-mm. in the old days, pumper trucks would come to the restaurant, pump out the grease, take it to a place where they disposed of it. But a gentleman came to me many, many years ago, like 20 years ago. He said, I have the better mousetrap for cleaning grease traps. I said, really? What is it? He said, amoeba. I said, what do you mean amoeba? (laughs) He said, I take the amoeba, I put it in the grease trap, it eats up all the grease, you don't need to bring in a pumper truck, and you save the expense of doing that, you just buy my amoeba one time. So the first gentleman who answered the ad, when he found out what he could do, he bought it. Why? He owned a thousand fast food restaurants. Wow. So that's the first time ever that I sold to the first buyer. Wow. Great story. Lauren Schmerler is with us folks with bottom line management. Um, so Lauren, let's talk about the clients that are good fits for you. Uh, let's talk to them directly and, uh, those folks that ought to be in touch with you. Okay. The best client for me is someone who's been doing everything right who, when I ask them for tax returns, currently filed, not just filled out, but filed. That's great. They use financial statements each month to run and manage their business. That's terrific. They have a stable workforce where they're retaining employees because they're treating them well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a great marketing program that's drawing in customers. They have a great customer base or a client base, depending on what the business is. They have excellent procedures, controls, because that will reassure the purchaser that everything is being well-managed. So that's typically some of the attributes or qualities of an ideal uh, client for me. Terrific. Uh, Lauren Schmerler has been with us, folks, with Bottom Line Management. Lauren, this has been great. Uh, uh, thank you for the great work you do and have done over the years. Uh, for those that would like to be in touch, let them know how they can do that. Probably the simplest way is to go to my website, which is botline.com. That's B-O-T-L-I-N-E.com. When they go to the website, they're going to see information for buyers, information for sellers, testimonial letters, Um, I think they're going to be pretty impressed with what they see. My phone number, of course, is on the website, but I encourage them to go there because it's very educational and very informative. Terrific. Lauren, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. John, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. 
Hey, folks, just a quick reminder. If you've uh, taken Lauren's words to heart and you need to get your books cleaned up so you can sell your business, or you just need to get your books cleaned up because you want to run your business better, uh, that's a good reason, too. I've got a suggestion that involves uh, Office Angels, SES Cabido over at Office Angels. Uh, go to officeangels.us and you'll be you'll find that they uh, handle not only bookkeeping needs but uh, virtual administration uh, services they offer. They've got marketing, a wide variety of services, um, and they do it virtually and they do it uh, in a terrific way. And I know that personally because I use their services. SES Cabido is the chief executive angel over there. And I suggest that you just give her a call at 770-442-9246 and let her know we sent you uh, and tell her what your needs are, and I know she'll be able to help you. And just a quick reminder that if you are looking to subscribe to this show, it's always free to listen on all your major podcast platforms. North Fulton Business Radio is the search term, and we would love it if you would go Subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review. That's not about me or Business Radio X. It's about our great guests like Lauren, uh, who do great work, and their work deserves to be found, particularly by people that are interested in their services. So if you could uh, uh, give that support to the show, it will help make that happen, and we'd appreciate it. So for my guest, Lauren Schmerer, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.